Let's talk about God. Here we are again. How are you feeling? Really tired. You uh, you got the stomach bug. It was awful. The stomach bug cannot be transmitted through the podcast. Thankfully. So you all are safe. You had it like a week ago, so you're already immune. Your mom got it, and I got it. Your brother got it. Your sister-in-law got it. And I didn't get it from your mom. The The middle grandchild of your brothers, we had to help watch the kids when they got it because they couldn't hardly function. So your mom went to get the baby because they couldn't tend to the baby. And then the two-year-old came running in. I said, what's he doing here? And he had just got over the bug. Mm. And as soon as he walked in, I went, oh, I'm going to get the bug. This is not good. He's still, sure enough, my grandson had to, had to take one for the team. Just comes right after you. Yeah. So, uh, but you had it worse than I did, I think. Oh, yeah. It was miserable. But here I am. I'm, okay. I'm back. I'm, back. I'm in recovery mode, but I'm functional. All right. So I'm a little bit more low key today, but I'm here. I'm ready to go. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to carry the weight today a little bit. Um, you, you usually ride, lead the carriage and I ride along shotgun in our endeavor with this. <laughs> How long have we been doing this now? We just hit. Two years. Two years in January. Yeah. We're on year number three. So uh, today, we, we're going to talk about a subject, and also in the next podcast, we're going to continue it, kind of carried on. But uh, it's kind of been a specialty for me. This is your area of expertise. This is where you could say you're an expert. I, I guess. I mean, when you start talking about the third person in the Godhead, I don't know that I want to claim to be an expert on God because, well, you know what I mean. This particular... This particular aspect, maybe. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time studying it, and it's been it's been a passion for me that that dates all the way back. I could take it all the way back, probably my whole life, but particularly when I was eighteen years old. Uh, and, and maybe we can just start. I guess we better tell our listeners because they're all going, "What are you talking about?" It's a topic you've been really immersed in. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Yes. Where is it? Oh, no, no, that wasn't the right one. I can't find it. Just hit them all. Find it. There we go. go. The blue one. The blue one. Light blue one. The light blue one is the uh, rim shot. We're going to talk today about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that's a subject that that if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you might be a little bit more familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I found that even today in Pentecostal churches, there are lots of people, lots of people who have no idea what that's about. And and if you study the Bible and read the Bible, you've probably heard about this. So it's a subject that uh, that we're going to talk about today, and we've made it pretty clear that we are Pentecostal preachers. We, we pastor a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So this is not simply theological to us or theoretical mm-hmm. because I have some some of my friends who are non-Pentecostals that, um, that what I'm going to talk about today, they would say, I've had them tell me, they say, I believe it. I, I don't have what you have. I don't practice what you practice but I've had, like, Southern Baptists, for example. I have friends of mine that are pastors, uh, and they tell me. They said, I, I believe it. I don't doubt anything. He, they say, I, I don't doubt your experience. I don't doubt – he's. I know it's there. I just haven't experienced for myself. And that may be you today, mm-hmm. or you may be someone who is skeptic, or you may be someone who has heard that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is one thing, 
and you're going to hear something entirely different today. And we're, we're not here to say we're right, they're wrong, but I, I, I do feel very confident, and I will go so far as to say dogmatic about this because of from a theological standpoint as well as a practical experiential standpoint. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And the reason I said it's something that affected me, Evan, when I was 18, when I was 18 years old, first of all, I've written a book on this. We don't talk about it much, but I've written a book called When the Natural Meets the Supernatural. Uh, I was actually published, which is cool. Yeah. Every, every every pastor would like to be published. It's not like I went out and found a printing company to print my book, which is great, but I actually had a publishing company publish me. So that's something that's... You know, Where can you find that? Well, actually, um, it's been a number of years now, so I have the rights back. So they can they can go to um, uh, they can go to www.highpraises.org and uh, just send an email, and it goes straight to the church, and then they'll get it to me. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, and then they'll contact me. But um, when I was eighteen, and I talk about this in the book, I was working at UPS in Greenville. I was in college, um, going to a local college. And uh, I'm a I'm a Church of God preacher's kid, Pentecostal preacher's kid. Uh, I'm 18. I just graduated high school, and this is my really first full time job. And I'm going to college. Um, and I was working with some students, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name the university, to, so I'm not tactless. But it's a it's a ultra conservative, ultra conservative university in Greenville, South Carolina, and it's religious. That's all I'm gonna say. You Google it and you can find out what it is. And there's some of our listeners going, I know what that is, but I'm just not going to say it. And they worked with me and my coworkers, and they were really nice guys. They're really nice guys. And um, they treated me nice. We had a good time, whatever, at work. And one night they found out that I was Pentecostal and I believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. And I remember it was like three or four of these guys just ganged up on me and I saw this other side of them. It was it was like the Pharisees attacking Jesus. That's what it made me think of them. And they lit into me. And they were telling me, they were asking me questions and they were challenging me and telling me, you're wrong and it's, this is not real. And I, I couldn't defend myself. Mm-hmm. I, here I am. I've grown up in this my whole life, but I'm 18. And I didn't, I had no way to defend myself. And I remember one of them even looked at me and said, Speaking in tongues is of the devil. You know, he's like right in my face. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you be, you better be careful, cat, because, you know, there's this thing called the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And when the Pharisees called the Holy Spirit the devil, <laughs> an unclean spirit, that was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, you, you're really treading really close here to doing something you don't need to do, you know. Uh, but I, I didn't say that, and I didn't know what to do. It was, it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was overwhelming. And I remember they finally, you know, backed off of me and we all went back to work. That had such an impact on me that as, as I got older, I mean, it was just, it was there. Well, then God turned my world upside down, called me into the ministry. So when I went, I went to a Bible college, I want to call it seminary. And, uh, it impacted me so much that in my degree, I could have got a BA or BS. They don't do this much anymore in, in universities. But if you took the BA in biblical studies, you took two years of Greek. If you took the BS um, in biblical studies, the Bachelor of Science, then you took hermeneutics and apologetics. That event affected me so much that I, I chose hermeneutics and apologetics because of that event, among other reasons, because I want to learn how to study the scriptures and defend what I believe. Mm-hmm. And I made up my mind that that would never happen to me again. 
and that if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit and Pentecost, and now I'm going to be a defender of the gospel and the faith, I wanted to be able to have the ability to say, all right, let's talk about this and take on anybody and say, let's have a conversation. And so, Evan, I spent years just studying and reading the scriptures and reading books and reading books by people who didn't believe the way I believed and, and hearing their arguments and whatever. Um, uh, I, again, I'll give you an example. Charles Stanley, who is a Southern Baptist pastor you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and he's pretty old now, but he's still pastor and preaching. I think he just retired, like okay. just retired. All right, he just retired. But you know, if you, a lot of people— It's crazy that he made it this long. Because he's, he's got to be in his 80s, yeah. right? So he wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and I got it, and I read it. I, got, I mean, I had it. And, of course, his theology is the total opposite of mine. I mean, I'm writing in the margins. I'm, I'm challenging him, you know, because that's, that's how big a deal this was to me. Mm-hmm. It's so much so that for years I said, I'm going to write a book. I, I, I felt like I had a divine mandate. That I, you know, I don't have an audience like guys at mega churches, but it, we've used it in our church a great mm-hmm. deal. Matter of fact, we give everybody in our church who goes through growth track, we give them a copy of my book. Neat. Yeah, and, and again, it talks about all that we, we kind of cover. It's written for lay people, and it kind of covers all the aspects of how the Holy Spirit is there when he convicts us and when we get saved and helps us to live right and be like Jesus. And then I get into the third section actually talks about the part that may be fascinating a lot of people about speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the gifts of the Spirit. And I even do a chapter on, um, that's why I called it When the Natural Meets the Supernatural. I actually do a chapter on shouting because you and Pentecostal shout and sometimes we run the aisles, we dance and and uh, kind of some of the dynamics of our worship that may seem a little extreme and uh, and uh, falling out under the spirit. You know, people have seen that if they ever watched Benny Hinn on television years ago, whatever. So I kind of do a defense of that to say that's just not crazy stuff. It's not emotional stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, it's a real, I, I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but that's, it really has been a passion of mine. Yeah. My whole life. I think that sets it up well for why it's so important to you and so important in general that it's got those practical applications and it's really important. Well, well it is, and and uh, and and so we're going to talk about it today. And and again, there are a lot of terms, so we're calling it you know the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Bible, it's often called being filled with the Spirit mm-hmm. or receiving the Spirit. These are the terms that are used in Acts: having the Holy Spirit fall on you having the Holy Spirit poured out on you, having the Holy Spirit come upon you, it's all the same. Those those terms are fluid. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's the writers are saying the same thing no matter which of those phrases they use. Mm-hmm. It, it all, it's commonly referred to as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I think this is so important for every believer is because uh, I always think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And he's preparing the way. If you study John the Baptist and what he said about Jesus, he made two particular statements about Jesus, all right? One, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, he pointed at him one day and said that. Two, he said, there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he talks about two roles of Jesus, that he will come as the lamb who takes away your sin, and he'll come as the Holy Spirit baptizer who will baptize you with the third person of the Godhead and even with fire. And so what I say is, John as the precursor is saying to everybody, even up till today in the 21st century, our listeners, 
you should have an encounter with Jesus. And this is really important, especially if you're a born-again believer, as your, as your Savior and as your Holy Ghost baptizer, because he serves in both roles. Mm-hmm. So That's good. Yeah, that, that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, I guess the question is, um, you know, what is it? Yeah, that was, the, that was what I was going to ask next. There's a lot of buildup to it, but what is it? What's going on? So Jesus said, but you, re- you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. This is Acts 1.8. Mm-hmm. So that statement by Jesus really clarifies what being baptized with the Holy Spirit is on about. You should receive power. So it is when you're filled with the Spirit or you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you become a recipient of divine power. And there is a complementary verse to Acts 1.8, which is in Luke 24, 49. And Jesus is telling the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait and pray until they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, do this until you are endued with power from on high, E-N-D-U-E-D. And mm-hmm. endued is one of those words. Do you use that word in your daily? I don't. <laughs> I don't either. So that's one of those words that you're going to go like, what? But to endue is to clothe. Yeah. So that's what he was saying. You will be, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you have this encounter with God, this very significant event, okay, you will be clothed with divine power. And so what kind of power? It's power that comes from God. Excuse me. Uh, The Greek word is dunamis. It's the word from which we get our English word dynamite. We all know the power of dynamite. It's it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It changes the environment around it. And and Jesus said, I'm going to, when you're filled with the Spirit, I'm going to clothe. It's like putting a jacket on of power, a, a jacket of authority. In some ways, um, it's it's well, just leave it at that. It's like just say you put a coat on, and that coat has power in it. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And and by the way, this is for for all of God's people, and it's supernatural power. And and what it does, it it, it it's power for you to do what Jesus did. You know, Jesus said. Um, the works that I do, you will do, and greater works than these because I go to my Father. And by the way, going to the Father, you're like, well, what's the point going to the Father? He said, if I go to the Father, like when I go back to heaven, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So you have to tie those two dots together. Is this making sense? Yeah, for sure. And so when, you're fill, when he sends the Holy Spirit, he's sending the Holy Spirit to fill us. To, for us to be baptized with him. And, and, and I think sitting at the right hand of the Father is a uh, expression of his divine authority and power, that he is ruling and yes. reigning, and now we are also doing that in service to him or on his behalf. Does that make sense? As extensions of him. Yeah. He is the head, but we are the body. That's you know, right. The church is, is the second incarnation. That's right. We're his flesh. We're his body down here. Mm-hmm. And so he wants us to do what he would. And he said greater works than these. I don't think it's because we'll do more numbers. I think it's because there's more of us. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, it's very clear to me that Jesus is saying what I did, I expect you to do. I mean, it's, it's clear. So he healed the sick. He cast out devils. He worked miracles. He operated in what we know as the gifts of the spirit that Paul talks about, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith. Uh, the only two he didn't operate were tongues interpretation, which were post-resurrection gifts. But he operated in the other seven gifts, uh, miracles, healings. So we're supposed to operate in that power. And for us to operate in that power, we have to be clothed with that power. And that's what happens when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Evan, you say, well, what's the point? Because people say, and here's the thing. And he said, you'll be witnesses of me. So we give a witness to Jesus, a testament, like a person who gets on a stand and says, here's my testimony to the facts. We're testifying to the world and saying there is a risen Savior. Mm -hmm. Okay, because the gospel is 
kind of foolish to the average person. Yeah. <clears throat> so you're telling me that there is a divine being and that he left heaven and he came to earth and was born of a virgin like he was a baby. God was a baby and became a man and lived a sinless life and then died on a cross. The breath left his body. The, the human, even though he's God, is dead. And they stuck him in the grave. And you're telling me three days later, he came back to life, came out of the grave, showed himself alive, and went back to heaven. Now, for me and, and for you, we love that story. That's the gospel. You got to think about it. To the average person in the world, it sounds like a... Fairy. Yeah, it sounds like a superhero story it, or something. It does. It sounds like a, a fiction. Yeah. Okay. So how do, how do we how do we show the reality behind that story to show that it's fact, not fiction? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit has to prepare people's hearts, et cetera, et cetera. But there's more than that. It's not just us trying to witness by our lives, but it is that we can do things and operate in the power of the Spirit, just like Jesus did, that that the same reaction, um, like Thomas, when he said, Thomas, look into my hands, he said, my Lord and my God. You know, mm-hmm. Peter, Peter just said, who was it, Nathaniel? You're the, you're the Messiah. Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. There was this revelation that he is God. He is the Savior. When we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and God uses us, it isn't to draw attention to us, but it's to say, you know how that happened? Because Jesus is real. Jesus has empowered me and enabled me to do this in your life. And I just give you that word of knowledge and told you something that I didn't know, but God told me, and it's helping you, and you're realizing you couldn't know that except for divine help. Well, yeah, the, the divine help is Jesus. And he died to say, so that's, that's a power that we have. And they had it in the early church. And, and I think what, what I'm afraid is that we're losing that because we have to have that today. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, the Great Commission is still the Great Commission. We're still called to go out and, and into the world and spread the message of Jesus. Um, and, and I think what we see in Acts is... Uh, as soon as they go to fulfill this great commission, miracles start breaking out. I mean, the church is kind of kickstarted because these crazy things are happening. And I would even argue today in cultures where that are that are still spiritual, you're still seeing this. Go oh, to oh, South yeah. America, go to Africa, go to Asia, wherever. We're sort of insulated from it because we live in a very secular, atheistic kind of culture where even Christians doubt this. But man, you walk into those other territories, it's it's on. It's it's game on. And God knows this. Missionaries do. Missionaries leave here and go over there and they'll come back like, yeah, you can't reason and ration and teach your yeah. way into you gotta you're gonna face you know demonic forces. You better have the power of God. That's right. Well, you mentioned the Great Commission, which is the mission of the church. And we're to go go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and and go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's the mission of the church. That's been the mission for 2,000 years. What I like to say is that with the Great Commission also goes the Great Command. And the Great Command was that Jesus said to the apostles, I've given you a Great Commission. Go, go. But he said, before you go, wait. A lot of Mm. people don't think about this. He said, I want you to go, but before you go, you have to wait. So he said, excuse me, he said, tarry in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. You should receive power when the Holy Ghost, and then you'll be my witnesses. So Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem. And so they did. When he went back to heaven, they turned around, went back to Jerusalem, went to the upper room, and they prayed. And they prayed for days. 
it didn't just happen that day. They prayed for like maybe seven days mm-hmm. and they had this prayer meeting. And on the day of Pentecost, God, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they, so they had to wait before they could win the world. And, and so they had to have the power before they could go out and be effective. And, and I like to say this, that the promise of Jesus, uh, of, of, the, in, of the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus in the context of evangelism. Yeah. You know, and, and so, and, and if you look at the book of Acts, um, chapters one and two are about the church waiting for and receiving the outpour of the Holy Spirit. Chapters three through 28 are about the church winning the world for Christ. So they had to wait until they got the power. Then they went out and they won the world for Christ. Yeah. I, I like, I like to get that image in my mind of them sort of huddling up together, kind of scared. I mean, kind of wondering what are we going to do? How are we going to go about this? I mean, you've got to think these are mainly unlearned fishermen, uh, blue collar workers uh, who just were experts in this, maybe like the Apostle Paul was, who were scared, who were huddling in a room, scared of the Pharisees or whatever else. And then all of a sudden, after the Spirit comes on them, I mean, they're ready to, to go to prison. They're ready to get beaten. They're ready to do whatever. Peter's preaching sermons where 3,000 people are getting saved. I mean, we're talking about something or really someone who makes the difference. Boldness, unbelievable boldness. I mean, they stood before what would be the equivalent of Congress or the Supreme Court, which was the Sanhedrin, and just boldly took them on. And told, I mean, and any other time, they would have been intimidated, scared mm-hmm. out of their, Not that day. They stood there, and, 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 it, and they said they took note that they had been with Jesus. They, they said, like, okay, what, who are these guys? These guys are like, they're not intimidated by us. Yeah. And so that's, that shows the power, because I really think the Holy Spirit does give you the boldness that you need. Um, to be the witness, and uh, there's there's something else that's in there in that whole context of Acts one where he's talking about being a witness and whatever. It, it, a lot of people don't put these two things together. In Acts chapter one, Jesus talks about the being filled with the Spirit. He talks at length about it, mm-hmm. and, and we're not going to get into all that today. Uh, but uh, well, you may read it. It probably worth yeah, reading. So let it. me read it. So so this is Acts chapter one, and and this is where Jesus has met with the disciples. Okay. And this is what it says. So, um, and being, uh, let me go to verse three. He presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. And this is really important, Evan. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Mm. Do you get that? Yeah. To the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus preached, right? Yeah. Repent for the kingdom of God. All right, now he's talking about the kingdom. Keep that in mind. And next verse, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And that's the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus preached Pentecost, by the way. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there it is. Yeah. <clears throat> Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He's thinking about, they're thinking about an earthly kingdom. He isn't. He's still thinking about the spiritual kingdom. Because what's that phrase you use? The kingdom now and the kingdom, the already and the not yet. Yeah, the already and the not yet. They're yeah. they're already wanting the not yet. They want to get into that earthly rule and reign. He's still in the and the and just the already, the already. 
And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's what I want our listeners to get. First thing I told you is that he spoke to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God, right? So a lot of times when you start talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, people who may have some knowledge are tempted to write it off as a denominational thing. Well, you're church of God, you're assembly of God, you're Pentecostal holiness, you're church of God of prophecy, you're church of God in Christ, whatever. You're just Pentecost. That's a pity. Mm-hmm. They got it all wrong. It's not a denominational thing. It's a kingdom thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, he spoke to them, and he's, I'm going to talk to you about things about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Spiritually now, one day, Here's it. Here's what it is. The power of behind the authority of the kingdom is the power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And this is where so many people miss this, and they're missing out on the authority and the power that we have to bring the kingdom of God. You know, I know you love to talk about how we we had that kingdom, we had the rule and reign, the, the call to rule and reign in Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Subdue the earth, fill the earth, and then we lost it. And in salvation, we we get it back. Yeah, talk about that. So, what are we supposed to be doing now? We're supposed oh, to be absolutely. We're supposed to uh, we're supposed to reflect God's rule and His dominion and His reign, which we do now in that invisible kingdom, that already kingdom that we are we are called to exercise His will and His uh, and His dominion. And so, we're called to invite other people into that kingdom as well. So, you get not just the representing God and His dominion and His authority. You know, taking. In Genesis, that would be having dominion over the animals and things like that. Well, now in a spiritual way, we represent God and his spiritual kingdom of righteousness and mercy and all these things. But even then, he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Well, he means that very much in a literal sense. I think we take that in a spiritual sense now that every Christian is called to be fruitful and multiply in the sense that we're called to spread this gospel and bring people into this kingdom. The kingdom is here. Let's go recruit citizens and get them involved while we still can. And so you're right. We're living out that same purpose, which is to represent God here on the earth with his authority, his power, reflecting his image his character, and then to be fruitful and multiply, get as many people in that kingdom as we can. And as good a talker as you are or as pitiful a talker as you are, it's not about how good you talk. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit enabling you. Yeah. Again, those apostles were just fishermen, mm-hmm. but he enabled them that Peter preached one time on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people came to Christ. Yeah. I mean, it's it's what God does through you, not what you do through you. That's right. And so we need the power of the Holy That's why I love to talk to people about get baptized with the Holy Ghost. Have this experience because it will change your life. It will equip you and make you where you can you can um you know operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's let me give you another aspect. You talk about we're we're supposed to rule and reign and make these multiply. Here's another thing. We've got an enemy who just like Satan came in and destroyed the Garden of Eden, okay, now we have to undo what the devil's done. We have to heal what the devil's hurt. We have to loose what the devil's bound. We have to mend what the devil's broken. We have to tear down his strongholds. We have to bring down every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of Christ. We have to take captive every vain imagination. We do this. We have to come against the, the deceitfulness of darkness. How do we do this? We have a power. Yeah. And I have a power greater than the power of the devil. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, where I can come against the forces of hell and defeat them. 
And so that's another thing that you have taught. Listen, you you talk about missionaries who get on the on the field, and and I'm not going to say a denomination. There's this particular non-Pentecostal denomination which is very large in the South. They passed not too long ago that their their missionaries can be filled with the Spirit, like because wow. they're not pay- they 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 are they have learned that when the missionaries go on the field and they they learn for me to combat the spiritual powers of darkness with witch doctors and voodooism and stuff. You get in Haiti and some of that stuff. They've realized, listen, we got to have the power of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. We got to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and operate in the power of Almighty God. And uh, and that particular denomination changed its stance because they weren't really for that. Now they've said, you know what? We realize we're not to be the ones determining that. I think it's interesting how the, especially in Acts, we see the apostles almost reliving Jesus's ministry in the sense that they go doing the same miracles he did. Like they go casting out demons, they go raising the dead, they go picking up the lepers, they go opening blind yep. eyes, all of these different things that the, I think, I think I just sort of made this connection. Like we talked about 15 minutes ago where, uh, where we are, we are the hands and feet, as you said, and yeah. we shouldn't be doing anything less than what Jesus is doing. And so when we talk about announcing the kingdom, when we talk about evangelizing, when we talk about doing all of those things, if Jesus had a certain method of doing that, why would we do it any less? Now, I understand we're not God. We're not the incarnate son of God. We don't get to do miracles on command, but the Holy Spirit is God. Yep. And why would we not trust him to do miracles on his timing when he wants, when he wants to show up? We've we've been called to continue on Jesus's ministry that he started two thousand years ago, and that's why it bothers me. Not because I'm a Pentecostal preacher and credential. That's not it. It bothers me as a child of God for anybody to say, especially in the 21st century in America, we don't need all that. We can we can build a church without that. We can reach people without all that. We don't need all that. Well, you can build something. You can build a crowd. You can build a gathering, but you're not building the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And and he told them to go win the world, but he, he did it in the context of being filled with the Spirit. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And so I, I, it bothers me when people say, well, we don't have to have all that. And, and then there's almost like I've had, and I've had some guys who are Pentecostal who said, well, I don't need that. You know, we're not going to have that in our church. We're not going to have the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to have speaking in tongues. We're not going to have anything like that because it might scare the visitors away. And I'm thinking, so the third person in the Godhead is going to work through his church, and you're afraid that's going to scare visitors away. Hmm. Like If you say it like that, then it sounds silly, doesn't it? Yeah. But that's what they're saying. But they focus on the fleshly carnal side, the manifestation, that because God's working through people. So they're worried about what it's going to look like through their church members to people, but what you have to understand is it, it's not about your church members or the preacher. It is about the Holy Spirit working through those people. And I've learned the Holy Spirit can do a whole lot more in thirty seconds than I can do in thirty minutes. Yeah, that's right. And so I, we need to get back to, to, to leaning on the power, getting filled with the Spirit, and leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's and so, really good. And I want to talk about this too because there are people who've come up. You know, we're talking about this being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking at the Bible. I'm looking at Acts 2, what happened there. That's my model. You know, Acts 4, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. I look at that. That They got filled with the Spirit. You have people today who disagree with our theology. And they say, okay, 
I don't agree with that. I believe that when you get saved, you are filled with the Spirit. Okay, they say that. I've I've had people, I've read non-Pentecostal. Well, all right, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with the Spirit, you need to just ask and it'll happen. Just ask and it'll happen. You won't feel anything. There's no manifestation, no evidence. Just ask and then it's there. Okay, and so they say... Well, see, I, I, you know, I, I disagree with that. Where they're tying it for the people who tie it back to when you get saved, it's the same thing as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have problems with that because if you go to Ephesians chapter five verse eight, Paul is talking to a church filled with believers. Okay, and he says, "Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." And it actually in the Greek means to, to it's a it's a continual action, present imperative. So. Be filled and keep on being filled. So it's a command, and it's a it's in the present tense. Keep on being. Oh, why would you tell people that if they got filled with the Spirit when they got saved, why would you give them a command to be filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled with the Spirit? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I have a problem with that. Is it has to be a separate experience? It has to be something more, and so that there's any confusion when you get saved. When you come to Christ, the sin goes out and God comes in, and he comes in through the person of the Holy Spirit. Your your spirit is joined with the Holy Spirit. He who is one with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Mm-hmm. So you you become one with the Lord in spirit, and the spirit comes in. The spirit of Jesus comes in, okay? And that's how Jesus comes into your heart, dwells in your heart by faith. So you have the Holy Spirit. So to say that you're saved but you don't have the Holy Spirit would be a lie, Okay, this is being clothed with the Spirit. This is having the power of the Spirit. There is a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit. And this is where a lot of people stumble and they just can't see it. And they start saying, well, what? How can I have two thirds of the Holy Spirit? And they want to parcel him up. It's not like that. It is the manifestation and the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it's not, you can't think volume or quantity. All right, it's it. The word measure is used there, but I, I like to use the word the dimension. It's a greater dimension of His power working through you. Okay, mm-hmm. it's Him operating in you in a way that is different. Okay, and that way happens when you are filled with Him. Because Evan, there are some people that don't want to do anything for God. There's some people who never be baptized with the Holy Spirit because they don't want to work. They don't want to witness. They don't want to work for God. They don't want to do anything for. It. They just want to go to heaven. <laughs> yeah. I just want to live their life and go to heaven. And so there's some people who are going to say, I don't have anything to do with this. But for those people who say, I love Jesus and I want to do something for God and I want to be effective, you know, and I know I already have the Holy Spirit, but I could have more, a greater dimension in, in that sense. The more is a greater. Yes. You can have a greater dimension of his power operating in your life where you're, I, I like to say it this way. When I'm saved and I receive the Holy Spirit, he is in me working to make me to be like Christ. But when I get filled with the Spirit, he now works beyond that to help me to do like Christ. Yeah. It gets back to what we said, the works that I do, you will do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when you're filled with the Spirit, it's the anointing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're anointed. You're, you're, you're the unction to function. <laughs> That's what oh, I'll say. Is, is that you have this, this unction, this anointing that enables you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're appointed, you're anointed, you're authorized, you're empowered now to go do what God's called you to do. Yeah, that's good. Now, talking about those, we're, we're, we're sort of talking about the folks who maybe don't deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but just 
aren't sure about it or aren't confident or whatever. Talk to me about those who theologically say no. They have a name called cessationist. The people who say just simply isn't real. No way, Jose. What's their deal? Why, what, what are, where are they coming at where they say this is maybe a first century thing or whatever, but not anymore? That's, that's wrong. Yeah, a cessationist, and the root word being cease. So they're saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened to the apostles in Acts has ceased. That doesn't happen anymore. You're filled with the Spirit. But it's when you get saved. But what you, you Chris, are talking about, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it happened to Peter, James, John, Mary, the mother of Jesus, James, Jesus's biological brothers, who were all in the on, in the upper room in the day of Pentecost, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, th- yeah, that happened to them, but it, that doesn't happen anymore. It ceased. Okay, and these gifts of the Spirit, miracles and faith and healing and all that stuff and speaking in tongues, that, that it, and that's why they'll go so far as to say it's of the devil because God doesn't do it anymore. So if it happens, it must be of the devil. Yeah. Okay. So those are cessationists. All right. They entertain me. Okay. And uh, I may be getting trouble here, but I think like John MacArthur isn't mm-hmm. he a cessationist? Yeah. Hardcore. You know, he, he's hardcore. Like he's hardcore. Like he would. He hosted his own conference. Of yes. Cessationists <laughs> about against people like you Strange and me. Fire. Yeah. Yeah. Strange Fire. And so he would call me a heretic. Uh, I, I would call him uh, incredibly misled. To be so smart, mm-hmm. and so we would differ. Um, but the cessationists have come up with this concept, and what they argue is that they will agree that these things occurred in the apostles, but they say that with that it ended, it ceased with the death of the last apostle, who was John the Beloved. Okay, Peter, Andrew, mm-hmm. James, John, that John, John who wrote the Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation, First, Second, Third John. So when they said when John died. That that was it. All those things were done. That was only for the apostles in the early church, first century. So after the first, so if you say that you spoke in tongues, God wasn't in it. If you say you got baptized in the Holy Spirit like they did in the day of Pentecost, it's not real. It's got to be fake. Something else. Okay. The gifts of the Spirit, no, it doesn't happen. God doesn't heal people today. God doesn't do miracles today. All that stuff's over. Here's the problem. It's not in the Bible. That's exactly what I was thinking. It sounds like an idea just imposed. There you go. Like as simple as that. That's it. It's an idea imposed by man to help enforce what they refuse to accept because they have other presuppositions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they have biases. They have prejudices, prejudgments yeah. against it. So now they got to come up with it. It's nowhere in the Bible. So that's that's first argument. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, yea, verily, you know, Second Hezekiah chapter two verse fourteen says, "Yea, verily, ha, that after the last apostle dies, yea, verily, there shall be a ceasing of all gifts, ha, and whatever." I'm being, I'm making fun of Elizabethan English now. <laughs> it doesn't say that about. Yeah. Okay, as a matter of fact, Peter said, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." This, you shall receive. He said, "For the promises to you." And to your children and to all who are far off, he's looking down through the ages, yeah. as many as the Lord our God shall call. Is God still calling people today? Absolutely. Then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still around today. Yeah. The other problem the cessationists have is that there is anecdotal evidence or evidence that's the physical evidence of 2,000 years of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Pentecostals being around for 2,000 years of church history and people speaking in tongues and being filled with the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit being in operation, it's really hard 
to fight that. Yeah. And you want to look at them and say, they, they may argue and you say, well, this one thing I know, that guy over there was blind, but now he sees. Yeah. Okay. So you're telling me miracles don't happen, but we just prayed for him. I just laid hands on him and God just opened his eyes. Mm-hmm. Kind of have a hard time believing you when I can see you in myself. God just healed this man. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really, uh, I, I can't find it a hard time to, 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 to do, to agree with a cessation. It's funny. I, to me, it seems like more and more cessationism is becoming a just untenable position. Like I, I see a lot of people now from non-Pentecostal denominations who will not call themselves cessationists, but doesn't mean they aren't functionally cessationist. <laughs> right. A lot of them realize I can't intellectually hold this idea and be honest. There's no way I can. But they never do anything with that information. It's just, I know I can't call myself a cessationist, but I'll never take the first step. Well, the other thing is they're outnumbered. Yeah. And let me show you why. And I, these stats are just a few years old. Okay, so maybe they're five years old, but they're still pretty close. There are about 279 million. Now, I'm not making these numbers up. These numbers are researched, and and I can take you to the sites. There are 279, and there's probably more now. Mm-hmm. So these were true five years ago. 279 million Pentecostal Christians and 305 million charismatic Christians, which is basically the same thing. So you put that together, that's a total of 584,080,000 spirit-filled believers in the world. That's crazy. Okay, so that's half a billion, all right? Uh, Pentecostal and charismatic Christians together make up 27% of all Christians uh, in the world. Wow. Pentecostal Christians are 8% of the world population. They're probably at 10% now. So I'm just throwing numbers to help you kind of grasp, all right, there are a bunch of us. Yeah. Okay. The the Pulitzer Center reports that 35,000 people join Pentecostal churches every day. Wow. Multiply that times 365. 35,000. Okay. If you go to Central America, Africa, certain hot spots in Asia, uh, South America, Pentecostalism is thriving. It's thriving. People are coming to Pentecostal churches, being filled with the Spirit, left and right. Researchers predict that there will be 1 billion Pentecostals in the world by 2025. So that's less than five years from now. That's massive. That's a huge jump. That's nearly, almost doubling. Not quite, but almost doubling. Exactly. Well, if there's 8 billion in the world by 2025, there's 7 now, 7 something. Say there's 8 billion, so every 1 in 8 people will be Pentecostal in the world. Wow. And and another thing is in America, so let's just talk about America, uh, churches are, are in decline, and, and this was even pre-COVID, that churches have been in decline. Um, the Southern Baptist Church, who has always grown and had baptisms in the last few years, have been on red alert because they have not seen the baptisms and the numbers. I don't know if that's changed, but they were they were in they 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 were having serious questions and I think it was some serious questions about the number of baptisms and I think they finally I think they all kind of came together to do some honest uh member purging <laughs> yeah you know what I mean get right. rid of some folks who are dead or not actually coming and, who are still on their and role they're, and they're finding out they're not growing is there's a point and they're yeah. not well this is happening everywhere and the mainline denominations have been dying for years yeah they're struggling bad they're they're just dying okay. So that's like Episcopalians and Methodists and Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. 
There is one group of people in the United States of America, and this is also true in the world. Let's just talk about the U.S. There is one group, and researchers will show that you can look this up, go Google it, you will see this. One group of Christianity that is growing, not dying, growing, and is Pentecostal churches. The two denominations are Church of God and Assemblies of God. I remember it in college. I mean, it was true in college. Yeah, those are the, our, our denomination, which we're part of the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. Assemblies of God, they, they are growing exponentially. And mm-hmm. I know we're seeing here, anecdotally, we're seeing here at Anderson High Praises, uh, reaching people, non-Pentecostal, left and right. And, and part of it is, and you're kind of millennial Gen X, aren't you? You're kind of... No, it'd be millennial Gen Z. Gen, Gen X Z, is like I mean, the Gen 80s. Z, I'm sorry, Gen Z. Yeah, it was a faux pas there. Um, you're kind of right on the border. Mm-hmm. But, and I, I and I think we're still figuring out Gen Z, but I think they're the same. But millennials, definitely, they are, they are you know, they're the ones that left the church. They're running back to Pentecostal churches because they want transparency. They also want transcendence. They don't want to go to church and just go through a, a class. Mm-hmm. They want to experience God. And we're seeing that at our church because we have a lot of millennials. They're coming in. They want to come in and experience the presence and the power of God. And that's what we Pentecostals do, most of us anyway. You know, we come in, Holy Spirit, have your way. We want to have a, an experience where our spirits are touched by the Holy Spirit. And we leave and say, man, God was in this place today. You know, it was, it was, he was real. So, so I, I said all that to say, and we don't talk about cessationists, but we're out, we've outnumbered them. Yeah and, yeah, and and right now, more than ever, and that's what worries me about America, Evan, is that we are we get are we we've been pulling and some pastors have been pulling away from this, and um, I remember <laughs> uh, the the general overseer of the Church of God was talking to the superintendent of the Southern Baptist Church, uh, uh, you know their denomination, mm-hmm. you know because they're the two big leaders, and they were talking, and he he looked it was Doctor Lamar Vest was our general overseer, and he looked at Doctor Vest and he said, "Can I ask you a question?" He said, what are you guys doing? And Dr. Vest said, what do you mean? He said, you Pentecostal preachers. He said, what are you doing? He said, you guys are trying to become like us. He said, we're trying to become like you. <laughs> he told it. He said, yeah. that happened. He said, we're, we're trying to wake up and say, you know, we need to start worshiping and praising a little different. We need to, we need to learn how to operate this spirit, you know, Holy Spirit. What's this Holy Spirit? He said, but you guys are backing off from who you are. He said, what are you doing? And I'm I'm the same way. Like, be who you are, you know. But be Pentecostal. Let the Holy Spirit be God. And uh, man, He makes all the difference in the world. I think you can see, and this is practice. But I think you can see uh, a lot of folks taking their cues from Pentecostal churches. For instance, in the in musical worship. So the most popular, at least modern music groups around are all Pentecostal. Hillsong. Hillsong's Assemblies of God, essentially the Australian version. Bethel. Bethel is charismatic. Uh, Stephen Furtick, Elevation, Elevation to some might degree. as well be. I mean, yeah. you know, Even though they're uh, not Pentecostal. Or they write with folks who are who for are. sure Pentecostal. Carrie Job, yeah. Cody Carnes. I mean, yeah. as far as the modern music scene, they all are. And then, I mean, some of your greatest hymn writers like Charles Wesley was not a Pentecostal, but might as well be a proto-Pentecostal, the holiness yeah. movement and all of that, you know. And then you come out of the black churches. Most, yeah, for most sure. Of, most of your black churches, your music that comes out of that, because I've preached in a lot of black churches, even if they have Baptists. Yeah. They're, uh, like, a, there's a guy named Steve Watson. I don't know if he's still pastors in New Jerusalem Baptist Church uh-huh. in Greer. And he was talking to Jerry Madden, who's the pastor of the church that this church was planted out of prison. He was talking one day, he said, shoot, he said, we're Pentecostal. 
He said, we're Spearfield. He said, we have to put that Baptist in front of the name because we're down south. He said, but shoot, we're Pentecostal. That's what he told me. He said, we're Spearfield. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, you so see a lot of your songs that come out of your the black churches because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I love I love black music, gospel music, and they, they're written by people filled with the Spirit. Yeah. I think I think something you said is just me spitting off the top of my head. I think one thing that Pentecostalism has going for it is it, like you said, it doesn't just speak to the head. It speaks to the heart yeah. as well. And I think one of the best things we can do is continue to grow into what we feed into the head, right? Right. Which grow in our in our knowledge and our preaching and our Bible study without losing that communication to the heart, which is the presence and the tangible presence and power of God. I don't want to deny God's presence in other traditions or whatever else. I trust he's there, but in a very unique way in our in our tradition. You know, of course, I'm your dad. I'm older than you. Uh, my concern growing up in classical Pentecostal church, we were big on experience. We weren't so strong on knowledge. We could have done a better job teaching our people. I mean, you'd have guests come in and we were freaking them out. Mm-hmm. We had that manifestation of the spirit. Nobody was explaining what was going on. So people thought we were crazy. If somebody would have just taught on it, explained it, even when it happened, you know how I do here. If we have the gift of tongues interpretation in, in our church, as soon as it's over, I explain what happens. Yeah. Because I'm thinking there are people here, visitors, who are saying, what was that? And so I take the time, and I, time, and time and again, they've said to me, thank you. When you explained it, it made it, it, made it okay. Mm-hmm. You showed me in the Bible, and then it was like, hey, it was different, but it's okay. It's cool. And, and, and then I worry that we flip-flopped, Ev, and now we're big on knowledge, but we're low on experience. And what I worry about is in the early church, the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, everybody was filled with the Spirit. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, like you read the book of Corinthians, it was a Spirit-filled church. Yeah, for sure. And, and the other churches were Spirit-filled. It was like expected that you're going to get, they wouldn't just preach salvation, the gospel. They would preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You got to get filled with the Spirit. Jesus said get filled with the Spirit. And so those churches that was ordinary. And what I worry about is what was ordinary in the first century has now become extraordinary. You start talking about miracles and people's jaws drop. And they say, oh, tell, I, I didn't think miracles happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. You tell them that you laid hands on somebody, they got healed. Really? I didn't think that happened anymore. You know, So I, I, we need to take and get back what was extraordinary to become the ordinary in our church. And again, it's got you got to have the balance of we got to do the teaching, we got to help people understand. But at some point... You can talk. You can teach somebody how to swim all day long. You know, tell them a class. But so, sooner or later, you just got to jump in the pool. Yeah, you just got to get in a pool and start swimming. You know, you just got to mm-hmm. take it, and, and that's that's what I worry about. That it's something that honestly has to be caught and taught at the same time. It is honestly. Yeah, it, it needs to be taught from the scriptures so it's not abused. But at the same time, you gotta. You're like you said. You got to eventually get your feet wet and just go for it. Well, I've told the people in our church who are filled with the Spirit, like on the day of Pentecost, and uh, you know they have the power of the Holy Ghost, and and we're going to talk about speaking in tongues in the next episode. So if you're listening, make sure you you listen, be ready for the next podcast. But I tell them, I say, you, you know, you can't you can't back off. I need you. I need you because I got all these younger people and just people coming in, older people that they're not used to this. I need you to model it. I need you to show them. I need you to, it's like you said, some things are caught and help them to see what it's like to be a practicing spirit-filled believer and be normal, 
you know, mm-hmm. we're not we're not wackos, we're not a cult. Um, you know, maybe some of our listeners think we are, but we're not. We're we're, we're evangelical, fundamental, um, but um, we're just Pentecostal. So, um, you know, yeah, this is this kind of thing. I know people are going, eh, I don't know if I need it or not. Well, if it helps you, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, kind of crazy. Well, so he's a carpenter for 30 years. Then it's time. It's time to go into his ministry. So what does he do? He finds John the Baptist and says, I need to be baptized with you. Well, John's like, what are you talking about? You need to be baptized with me. You're the son of God. And he says, no, it's the right thing to do. I need to model what we're supposed to do. Okay, if I get baptized and everybody else will be able to say, well, then I should be baptized in water. Okay, so Jesus is baptized in water. He comes up out of the water. He's either standing in the water or comes up on the bank. And the Bible says the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove in the form of it. It's not a dove, but it's like a dove and comes upon him. And a voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So what we Pentecostal was, would say is, hey, Jesus modeled for us how to get water baptized. He also then modeled for us how to be spirit baptized. And you may say, wait a minute, you mean he was baptized with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he was. He was filled with the Spirit. If you read on in Luke, okay, if you just read, and Luke is where you find all this, okay? If you go on, like in verse 4, chapter 4, okay, because that's in chapter 3, the story of, all right, when you go to chapter 4, this is what it says. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Yeah. So he was filled with the Spirit. He wasn't prior to that. Mm Mm-hmm. He had an event where he was water baptized and spirit baptized, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not making that up. It, it happened to him. And then it says in verse 14 that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So when he was filled with the Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit, then he was clothed with the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 18 says he goes to the synagogue. He pulls out Isaiah the scroll turns to chapter 61 and reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. Yeah. And he reads the rest of that and he looks and he rolls it up and he says, today that scripture has been fulfilled, <laughs> which is another way of saying, you know what? That's me. Yeah. I'm filled with the spirit. The spirit is on me. I'm anointed. And, and in Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. It was the kicking off of his ministry. Yes. He's just a carpenter up and, until this point. And he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you go. It goes back to what I talked about. Before the Great Commission, you got to have the Great Command. And just like Jesus did, I'm sure they thought about that, is he got filled with the Spirit, then went into his ministry. We need to be filled with the Spirit before we go out and win the world. And it's the same thing. It's been this way for 2,000 years. Those of you who are listening, you want to be, you should want to be filled with the Spirit so that when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you can turn around and do like Jesus did. And all these things, powerful things that Jesus did, you're going to do the same thing he did. Yeah. But I just think the thing is, you know, you, you, we start talking like this and people want to write it off. And I want to go, whoa, 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 whoa. If Jesus got filled with the Spirit, Paul got filled with the Spirit, Peter got filled with the Spirit, Mary, the mother of Jesus, got filled with the Spirit, come on. You don't think you ought to be filled with the Spirit? Yeah. So if it's everywhere in the scriptures, let's go for it. Yeah. 
I think um, I like I like something that we've kind of got here in, in our notes where I, I just want to read off the actual wording here. That's why I like it. It's not just for spiritual super dupers. I actually wanted to read that right there. <laughs> yeah, I put that in my book. <laughs> it's not just for spiritual super dupers. What do you mean when you say it's not just for spiritual super dupers? I, I guess, I mean, I think we're kind of alluding to it, but um, the Holy Spirit is not just for preachers or pastors or Jesus or apostles or whoever. Evangelists. You get an evangelist that comes preach a revival. You know, we, they're all fired up, you know, well, I bet he's filled with the spirit, you know, people yeah, like that. You say stuff like he's anointed, you know, especially when you hear preachers or, or really good singers on Sunday morning or whatever. Like, can we point our finger and say he's anointed at the guy just going into work on Monday morning? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, so, so here's the thing. You can't relegate it to just church leaders or preachers or whatever. That, that's what I'm trying to say today is is this is for everybody. And mm-hmm. you take you have to go back to Joel 2, 28, 29. There's a prophecy there in the Old Testament that is quoted in the New Testament. Peter quotes it on the day of Pentecost. So it gets fulfilled at the mm-hmm. beginning of it. It's the starting. And, and it reads like this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. So it's not just for super dupers. It's for everybody who is born again. Obviously, the all flesh has to mean, you know, you have to be born again, obviously. But it's, yeah. it's talking about old, young people, men, women, new converts, people that have been saved for many, many years, businessmen, blue collar, white collar, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, middle class, lower class, upper class. Does it matter? Yeah. That's the point is, and he said, your, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young visions and upon your servants and man, handmaidens and servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So it's the supernatural power of God coming mm-hmm. through. So yeah, th- that what I want to try to say is that it's not just for, for the, the pastor, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't do that, but realize that the, again, the promise is to you, your children and all who are far off. It's for everybody. Yeah. Well, I think the natural conclusion is, all right, so what now? What do I do? How do I how do I get this thing? <laughs> right. How do I get filled with the the power with the Holy Spirit and his power yeah. to be a witness? What is it? Well, well, well Jesus said in uh, in the Gospel of Luke, he said, uh, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks the door shall be opened. Mm-hmm. For, for who of you being a father, if you have a son that is hungry, gives him stone instead of a bread, or a, a, a serpent, you know, or a scorpion instead of, you know, something good to eat, an egg. And, and what he was saying was, if you, and went on to say, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? to those who ask him. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you have to do is you have to ask. The disciples went in the upper room and, and were filled with the day of Pentecost because they were praying. They were asking the Lord. And I want you to understand something, Evan. They were not Pentecostals. They didn't know what was coming. Nobody had ever spoken in tongues. Nobody had ever been filled with the Holy Ghost like was about to happen. They were clueless. They were expecting something to happen, had no idea what it is. At least today, we have an idea that, yeah, mm-hmm. when you feel the Spirit, certain things happen. They had no idea, none whatsoever. But they prayed and they asked, Lord. So the first thing you do is you have to ask because everything we do is by faith. 
So when you got saved, you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You asked him to come into your heart, right? Mm -hmm. You asked him to, to change your life. And you did it by faith and you leaned on the grace of God. Same thing as when you get filled with the Spirit. You ask him, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit. You pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I listen to that crazy podcast, and I want what they talked about. Lord, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. You ask, and you have to have faith, and you have to believe that it's going to happen. And you can't pray one time, and then if nothing happens, just write it off. You you have to ask and keep on asking, because in the, in the Greek, that's what Jesus said. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking shall receive. So you have to just, if it happens the first time, man, awesome. Praise the Lord. If it doesn't, then you just got to keep, you got to keep praying. You just got to keep banging on that door. I, I remember when I wanted to be filled with the Spirit, every time I went to the altar in church, because, you know, we go to the altar in our church, every time I went to the altar, I was down there praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was my goal. I was, I was not going to give up until I was filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing that I would recommend, and you got to receive it as a gift. When you receive, just say, God's going to give it to me because he loves me. He's going to give me himself, you know, the Holy Spirit. Second, I've learned that praise and worship can really help is once you've asked, then the next thing you do is just spend time praising and worshiping the Lord passionately. You know, play, turn on some passionate music and just cry and praise and worship him and exalt because, you know, God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise him, the spirit of the Lord comes down. God sets up his throne. And, and so if you want God to come down in a powerful way in your life, if you've ever been in a powerful praise and worship service, you know how God is manifested. Mm-hmm. Well, you want God to be manifested and his power to be spend time praise and worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. And and then again, the, the third thing would be, and this is a faith element, expect she so just got to expect it to happen, okay? You just got to keep praying and just say, it's going to happen. And I'm going to pray five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And if you, you say, I got to go, then you get up and you say, okay, it didn't happen this time. But next time, I'm expecting it's going to happen. Because everything, again, don't get frustrated because the early church on the day of Pentecost, like they prayed seven days before. Can you imagine praying every day for something that's not happening? But they didn't quit because Jesus told them it's going to come. And so you got to just say, this is a promise to me. It's going to happen. I don't know when. And you just keep on praying and keep on expecting and 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 keep on believing. And yeah. if God doesn't fill you the first time, um, you you just you don't give up. Um, you keep you get praying. You just keep praying. Um, and and let me just tell you some things um, to kind of look forward to. Um, Isaiah and and Paul actually quotes this. I think it was Isaiah said that was stammering lips. I will speak into this people. And God was speaking. Well, Paul took that verse and actually said that it refers to speaking in other tongues. And uh, so you, you say, well, I've never spoken in tongues. Well, my theology and the theology of our denomination, and, I, and I'm, I'm really strong with it. It's in my book. And I know there's some people that don't believe this, but I believe it, uh, is that when you are filled with the Spirit, you will speak with other tongues, just like they, they did it on the day of Pentecost, Okay. They 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 had it happen again in Acts four when they were refilled. It happened in um, in Acts chapter uh, ten with Cornelius's household. It happened in Acts chapter nineteen when there was eighteen twelve guys on the side of a river. Paul laid hands on them and they received. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. The only time it didn't happen is Acts chapter eight, which is when the Samaritans. But it's heavily implied that they did, and I won't take the time to go through that. We'll talk about that in a minute, but. But they spoke with his heavenly language. Now, this is where some people get, you know, caught up. And again, we'll talk about this in the next episode. But 
I think it's God's supernatural. You're having a supernatural experience. I think it's God's supernatural way of letting you know that it's happened. And so I'm going to say something you'll probably hear again in the next episode, so I'll just make this one statement. To me, it's like the doorbell. When somebody's at my house, how do I know they're there? They ring the doorbell. Well, then I know they're there. I think speaking in tongues is kind of like the divine doorbell. Mm-hmm. And it's it's and you don't do that. Nobody does that. Who goes around speaking gibberish? Yeah. Pe- people that are out of their minds, maybe, you know. But no, the average person, rational person, doesn't speak in a in a language, this heavenly language. Okay. Just don't do it. So if you do it, then you're gonna know that you know that you know that you know I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. Because if there's if it's not, the devil will try to talk you out of it. Yeah. And say, no, that didn't happen to you. But when that happens, you can say, devil, you can tell me all day, but it happened. I was there when it happened. Mm-hmm. And I have been filled with it. Just like it happened to the early church. That's how that's what I can do. I can go back and say, just like Peter got it, I got it the same way. Yeah. And there's now there's no doubt in my mind. See, it's not the only evidence, but I think it's the initial evidence. You'll have joy, you'll have excitement, you'll have a boldness, you'll have a fervency. Okay. But I was gonna say when you're praying and as you're praising, your lips may start stammering. You'll feel like something's happening to your lips. Like, well, you know, it may be because God's now beginning to move on you and, and they spoke as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And again, I'm going to talk more about this in the next episode, but you don't have to make it up. He's going to speak it through you. You just have to yield to him and then speak as he gives it. To you. And he may, you may feel this urge to speak words that make no sense, okay? But you have to, by faith, Speak that, mm-hmm. and then it will, because that's what they did on the day of Pentecost, and then you it begins to flow out of you, and it's this heavenly language. It's just so awesome, and I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful experiences you will ever have in your life, and and you will know that you know that you know that God has filled you with the Holy Spirit, and then once that happens, um, it, it, it'll 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 change, and you may cry, you may experience. Unbelievable joy! Um, I know people that have spoken in tongues that didn't speak long. I've heard other people that they started speaking in tongues and couldn't stop. I've heard stories of. I mean, I'm talking about a lot of stories that people were at church on a Sunday night and they got filled with spirit and they couldn't stop speaking in tongues. They had to put them in the car and take them home. They're speaking in tongues. They laid in bed and spoke in tongues. Fell off to sleep speaking in a heavenly language. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. Just yielded to the power of God. They're, they've they've entered into this world of the power of God and just totally yielded to God. I, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's just powerful. And uh, I'll tell you what scares me, Evan. We've just gotten so rational and, and, and so unspiritual that there there may be some listeners right now saying, I'll never do that, you know. And I'm thinking, we'll ride a roller coaster. We'll have thrills. We'll do stuff. We'll spend money to go to Disney World to ride rides and get simulators and get thrills, you know, and it's all artificial when you could have one of the greatest unbelievable thrills and moments of your life to be filled with the Holy Ghost and empowered by God. And what it will do, especially if you're in ministry, and again, we're all ministers. So I don't, that's why I don't like talking about what's just for ministers, but it will revolutionize your ministry. Mm -hmm. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you are anointed now. You will preach different. If you teach a class or a life group, you will teach different. If you sing, you will sing different. God will take you and use you. If you witness, you will witness different. 
uh, anything you do for God, whatever your gifting is, if it's mowing grass, you'll mow grass different. I don't know mm-hmm. how that's going to have it, but God will take whatever it is that you do and he anoints it and it becomes powerful and effective where people see Jesus and it turns into a moment where God can witness. I'm just telling you, it's life-changing. That's good. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a like rating, subscribe, send this episode to somebody who needs it, or maybe has some questions about this particular doctrine or understanding. We hope that this can help you. Hey, if you want a book or a copy of the book, When the Natural Meets the Supernatural, head to High Praises website, www.highpraises.org. Send us an email and you can purchase that there. Um, And hit us up for our next episode where we take a deeper look at speaking in tongues. We'll see you back in a couple of weeks.